If you will turn in your Bibles with me to, please keep the passage Kevin read, uh, Romans 8, in, on, in your Bible. Keep that marked. Uh, we're going to flip back and forth from Romans 8 to Ephesians 1. But we are going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> Before we go to prayer, I'd just like to encourage you, if you are um, troubled by... Uh, the things that you see happening around you in this world, and if sometimes you just get the feeling that there's so much deception and so many lies that are going on that it's almost as if hell was opened up and all of this lying spewed out. If that's, and yet with all of that going on, people aren't turning or changing. Um, tonight, in our study in the book of Revelation, verses 8 and 9, you're going to see, we're going to see in that text, an example of how this happens and, uh, and when hell opens up and these locusts come out to deceive the nations and such. So anyway, if you're, the, the, the Bible has so much to say for us today in this day and age, and, and I just want to encourage you tonight, I think would be a real encouragement um, and so if you have time to come out tonight for Bible study, that'll be at 5 o'clock tonight. Let's pray together. Father, bless and be with us now, we pray. Help us as we study your word. Help us, we pray, Father, as we study something that is actually extremely difficult to grasp, and not intellectually, but we don't, we, we struggle here. Father, help us, we pray. Help us to patiently and calmly hear your word. Help us, we pray, to wrestle through these things, but help us to see the glory that led Paul to praise and help us to be caught up in that glory this day. Bless and be with us now, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The passage that I want to preach on this morning is uh, as we're entering into our study of the book of Ephesians, we're going to be focusing now from on Ephesians chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 3 through verse 14. Now, I'm not going to obviously study. This is one of the most amazing passages that is in the entire Bible, and I can say that without hesitation, one of the most amazing passages. This passage is a passage of praise and, and worship to God from the Apostle Paul. It's, uh, it's an unusual passage. For Paul, in other, all of his other letters, after he greets people, he may give a little blessing uh, or he may go directly to prayer for them, which he's not going to get to until verse 15. In fact, chapter uh, 1, verses 3 through 14, in Paul's original writing, is one long sentence. It's one sentence. Uh, Bibles that, that, that you'll, you'll actually notice that Bibles that try to be as literal as possible will try to break this down as, as, as few sentences as they can. And so, for instance, the New King James has it broken down into four sentences. Uh, I think the King James has it two or three. I can't remember. I think that was the one I found that had the least in, in, in looking. But anyway, I would really encourage you to read this passage, 3 through 14, over and over again uh, over the next few weeks. It's going to take us some time to get through this. 
Uh, read it slowly. But what you will find is a structure here. In verses 3 through 6, which we're going to focus on now, is dealing with redemption and praise to the work of the Father. In verses 7 through 12 will be the work of the Son. And then in verses 13 and 14 will be the work of the Spirit. And so you'll have this structure broken down there. And it's just absolutely beautiful. So let me just read to you this morning the passage we're going to be begin focusing on. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. The Apostle Paul begins, this is a passage of praise. And I want you to understand that first and foremost before we get into this, because there's, there's going to be a lot of controversy in this. I'm going to go fast. There's going to have a lot of theology coming at you. And for some of you, this may be new. If you have never really studied the Bible carefully to the point that you have had to wrestle with the doctrine of predestination or election, this might be new to you. This might be a first day for you. And if that is, let me encourage you to look at the Scriptures, hear what the Scriptures are saying, listen to what I'm saying, wrestle with this stuff. And if you have any questions or you have any thoughts that you would like to have clarified, there are many godly people in this, in this building, many godly men and women in this building that, that could help you uh, with that. But uh, let me just say that this is a very difficult passage. As you look in verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There is a people that God chose before the foundation of the world. And then if you look at verse 5, predestined us to adoption as sons. God has predestined a group of people to adoption as sons. And so once we get into this world where uh, suddenly God is choosing, God is predestinating, then it causes all kinds of problems for us in our generation. It's always caused problems, but it particularly causes problems for this generation. And the reason is, is because in the generation that we live in, we deal with God on our terms. We deal with God on our terms. We relate to God on our terms. We use God when we need Him. We like Him, though, to stay in the background in our lives. We don't want Him, we love when God does good things for us and we bless Him, but we don't want God to, to come into our lives and to do things that, that get in our way. When we have a crisis, we turn to God in a crisis. But the rest of the time, we're in charge. The rest of the time, we, ask, we want God to stay in His place, to be good, and don't get in the way. That's the way modern man treats God. But that is to treat God that as if he is not God. And when God suddenly begins to act as God, we become either nervous, scared, or angry at him. See, we allow God to stay in, in, in one portion in his little thing. We allow God to do this. But when God breaks out and starts acting like God, we get uncomfortable. Charles Spurgeon put this so well uh, when he was preached this word. Listen, we put it on the screen. Men will allow God, and Spurgeon, I'm sure, rolled his eyes when he said that. 
Men will allow, we don't allow God to do anything, but men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. They will allow him to be in his workshop to fashion worlds and to make stars. They will allow him to be in his position as giver, to dispense his gifts and dispose, to bestow his blessings. They will allow him to sustain the earth and to uphold its pillars or to light the lamps of heaven or to rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean. But when God ascends his throne, his creatures then gnash their teeth. When we proclaim him an enthroned God and his right to do as he wills with his own, to dispose of his creatures as he thinks well without consulting them in the matter, that is when men turn a deaf ear to us. For God on his that is when men turn a deaf ear to us. For God on his throne is not the God they love. They love him anywhere better than they do when he sits with his scepter in his hand and his crown upon his head. But it is God upon the throne that we love to preach. It is God upon his throne whom we trust. And dear friends, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this passage and we're going to look at what this means that before the foundation of the world, God chose a people who he will adopt into his family and whom he will save. We're going to wrestle with this, this, this idea of the God's sovereignty in salvation, of God choosing, of God's predestinating purposes. Now, again... When Paul said this passage, when Paul, yeah, I want you to think of this passage as a passage of praise. Paul did not write this to start a theological discussion. Paul wrote this as praise. Blessed are you, God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Blessed are you that you have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's how Paul said this. For you chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before you. In love, we praise you, O God. You predestined us to be your children in Christ Jesus, for it was your good pleasure. And, and we praise you, and this is to the praise and the glory of your grace by accepting us in the beloved. That's how Paul writes this passage. This is a passage of praise, and we're going to get back to that. But before we get back to that, we, some, I, we have to clear the air a little bit for us, especially if this is new to you. We have to declutter the room a little bit. You see, because as soon as somebody hears that God predestines, God chooses, all kinds of questions begin to come in, in our minds, especially modern man's minds. Well, if God predestines and God chooses, then there's no need for evangelism. Why would we evangelize? Because they're all going to come. They've already been predestined and chosen. If God predestines and chooses, then why would we pray? God has already decided and determined what's going on. Why would we pray? If God predestined and chose certain people to salvation, that's not fair. What about the other people? If God predestined people to salvation and they're going to come, doesn't that take away man's free will? How, how can man be, still be free? And, and so when, when Paul writes, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, or in verse 5, having predestined us to adoption, all of these questions come forward in our mind. How could, any of, how could this mean what he says? How could any of that be true? And I'm going to answer that not by philosophically answering each of these or theologically answering each of these. I want to answer this by saying this. Those questions were not a problem for Paul. 
They weren't a problem for Paul. When Paul said, blessed are you that you chose us before the foundation of the world, blessed are you that we're here because you predestined us, Paul, that doesn't mean Paul didn't believe in evangelism. Paul believed in evangelism. In fact, I think an argument could be made that there was no greater evangelist that ever walked on the planet since the apostle, as the apostle Paul was. No one traveled as much to share Christ with people. No one was imprisoned as much. Nobody was stoned. Nobody, was, nobody risked their lives. Nobody was in danger as much as the Apostle Paul for evangelism. We say, well, how could he believe that God chose people before the foundation of the world and then go out there and be so? Why didn't he just sit back and let God just do his thing because God has already predestined what's going to go on? It's because Paul recognized that not only did God choose a people and predestine a people, but God also chose the means by which which he has will to bring those people to himself. And that was through the preaching of the gospel. Listen to what this same apostle Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2. He wrote this, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, now listen to this, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. Now obviously there he's back to predestination. Through sanctification by the Spirit, and belief in the truth. Notice this, that the choosing is through if sanctification is being set apart by the Holy Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel. There's evangelism, God calling, and being predestined all wrapped up in two verses for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul saw no conflict here. Those whom God chose, God is going to call, and he is going to call them through the gospel, and I'm going to put all of my efforts into the gospel. And that's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 22, he would say, to the weak I become as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. The same man who praises God for his predestinating purposes is the same man who says, I do everything possible to bring them in. Paul also saw this as an important part of his preaching ministry. Flip now over to Romans 9. When I say flip, that just means we're going to flip back and forth. So flip over to Romans 9. But before you get to Romans 9, in Romans 9, the passage that Kevin read, if you were listening to it very carefully, it's a really wild passage. It's Paul saying that not all Jews are of Israel, not all of Israel is Israel. That not all of, them, of Abraham's seed are the, are, the, are the chosen people. Abraham had two children, Ishmael and Isaac, and God chose Isaac. Isaac was the man of promise, not Ishmael. But if you think, well, yeah, that's because of Hagar and that whole thing, that's why Ishmael, then Paul goes to the next one. He says then, but think of Rebekah and Isaac. Rebekah and Isaac, in the literal, in, in, the, in the Bible, one act of conception between Rebekah and Isaac, two children, twins, were in Rebekah's womb, Jacob and Esau. And God chose Jacob and not Esau before they did anything good, before they act on their own will, before anything. And that's why in verse 16, Paul can write, So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. He says about the children in verse 11, For the children not yet being born, having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. This is all about God. God calling. God predestinating, God working. That's the argument of chapter 9. But look at chapter 10. Look at chapter 10. The exact same man, 
The same pen is in his hand. Verse 14, verse 13. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall we call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The sovereign electing God has also chosen that through preaching, he is going to call out his own people. Well, what about prayer? Why should you pray if God is predestined already who's to come? Well, ask Paul. Look at verse 10, chapter, one, chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Paul didn't see a contradiction here. He said that if God, if one of the things that God has ordained in order to bring his chosen people in is prayer. God works through prayer in the mystery of prayer. God blesses through prayer. Ask and you shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Ye have not because you ask not. And so there's a mystery here. And yet Paul didn't see any mystery in that sense as well either. In Colossians chapter 4, listen to what Paul, prayed, Paul wrote to the Colossians. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful and pray for us too. Now listen to this. That God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I do. Paul saw a sovereign electing God and prayer and evangelism to be no contradiction at all. There, Paul didn't have a problem here. That's why when Paul writes to the Ephesians or Paul prays and worships God for his electing purposes, he doesn't expect that he's opening up a theological uh, a can of worms. How about it's not fair? It's not fair. If God chose some people before the foundation of the world and didn't choose others, that's not fair. That's not fair. God must choose everybody or he must choose nobody. That's what's fair. And that's what people think. That's what people say. That's what fairness is. Now, how do you answer that? How, how would Paul have answered that? Well, Paul did answer it. First of all, the that's not fair argument came up in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 18. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. There's sovereignty right there. I don't know what else that could be but sovereignty. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? How can he find fault? Who has resisted his will? That's another way of saying that ain't fair. What's Paul's answer? Oh, wait, wait, you misunderstand me. Oh, wait, no. Paul's answer in verse 20 is this. But indeed, O oh man, who are you to talk back to God? Who are you? Who are you, mere little man, to tell God what's fair? To tell God what to do? To tell God how he is required to act to his creation? Then he gives an illustration. He says, will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Can't God take, can't a potter take a pile of clay and grab a batch of that clay, put it on his wheel, and spin out a beautiful, beautiful, priceless vase and set it here? 
And then out of that same lump, grab a, bug, a lump of clay, put it on his wheel, and spin it out and make a spittoon where tobacco chewers spit into it. Or a bedchamber pot that people used to keep under their bed so that they could use, if they had to use the bathroom at night, they would use that and didn't have to walk outside into the outhouse and slide it back under. And from the same lump of clay, the potter has the right to make this priceless vase and this chamber pot. God has the right to do with his creatures and do with his creation whatever he chooses to do. So look at verse 22. If God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, if this is what God has wanted to do, endured with much lost suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy for which he has prepared before him for glory, even us whom he has called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. If God has chosen, has made the decision that he is going to choose out of the lump of humanity a people for himself and for his own glory, he is God. He has the right to do that. He is God, and that is his purpose. That is his ways. He is God, and we have no right to speak against him. This is where God is acting as God. Well, some people say, well, no, no, we can get around this. We can get away from this. We can get around this. You see, God, first of all, the, the fairness argument is based on the fact that God looked at all of these really good and nice people and said, well, you'll go to heaven, you'll go to hell, you'll go to heaven, you'll go to hell. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Well, then some people will say this. Well, the way you can deal with this is, is God looked ahead, and when he looked ahead, he saw who were the people that were going to believe upon him, embrace him, love his son, and God chose them. Now, first of all, that completely eliminated, waters down the idea of election and choosing. That reminds me of when I was in junior high, and us lover boys were so afraid to ask a girl out to the dance until we found out that she would say yes. So what we would do is we would sick our sister on her or her sister on her and find out if she would say yes if I said, asked her out. And then if I found out that she would say yes, then I would be bold and I would ask her out and be the man. What a wimp. I think this makes God a wimp. Let me see who's going to choose me, and then I will elect them and choose them. No, 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 no. No, no, no. What actually does the Bible teach if God were to look ahead and to see mankind? What was he looking at? All of these good people who deserve to go to heaven, and he just decided to send some to hell? No. Did he look ahead to see those who would love him and embrace him on their own power and will? No. Flip to Ephesians chapter 1 again and look at verse chapter 2, the beginning of it. And you, he made alive, that shouldn't actually be in there, that doesn't come until verse 5, but English, in the English language we have to jump to the, the, the result quicker. But the way Paul wrote it, and you who were once in, dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children in wrath and just as others. This is what God looked ahead and saw. 
If God were to look ahead and see what mankind would be, it would be people who are dead in trespasses and sins, verse 1. People who are walking according to the course of the world and following after the leadership of the prince of the power of the air, the the devil himself. People who have aligned themselves with the devil and people who are conducting themselves in the lust of their flesh. Paul would look ahead and see no one would choose him. They were all dead in trespasses and sins. They were all lost. And so God is under no obligation, as he looks at a man, at humanity like that, God is under no obligation to show mercy. God is under no obligation to show grace. God is under no obligation to say, oh my, oh I guess now I must send my son to die for you and take away your sins. God was under no obligation. If anything, God was under the obligation to just simply destroy us and bring wrath. But God chose to do something different than that. God chose to do what justice called for him to do in that sense. Kill us all. Eliminate this planet. Be done with us. God chose to do something different. Let me illustrate this for you. For those of you who have heard the illustration, this is the curse of having an old pastor. He tells the same stories over and over again. Imagine, I want you to imagine a kingdom with a king. He's a good king, but there are people who hate the king. And a rebellion begins to form, and they hate the king. And they have determined to rebel against the king, to cut his head off, and to take over the kingdom. And they've united together, and they've gathered arms secretly, and they hate the king. They just want this king dead. And they gather, they organize, they order, and finally they go into battle. They go into battle, and they're ki- the soldiers are fighting. They're fighting toward the castle. They just want to grab that king, and they're going to grab that king, and they're going to chop his head off, very much like the French Revolution was. The king wins. His army suppresses the rebellion. And all the rebels are in prison. And those rebels hate the king even more now. They hate the king. And if those rebels, when the king, and the king walked down to the prison, and there's all these cells full of these men, and as soon as these men saw the king, they were spitting at him. And they were throwing things at him. And they were tempting him to come near the, 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 the cell there and the bars. And if that king would have come near the bars, they would have grabbed him and choked him to death and choked the life out of him. They had chamber pots here, and they threw feces on the king. And the king is walking through this, this prison. And the king says, you, 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 you. Get them out. And those men are all taken out. And the king says, I want to show my subjects what grace and mercy is. You men are going to be forgiven. I'm going to execute my son for you. And I am going to make you princes. I'm going to adopt you into my family. And you are going to live in the castle with me forever. The rest of you will be executed to show that in my kingdom, rebellion is not acceptable. I am a king who is both just and I am a king who is full of mercy. This is exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 9 when he says, What if God, seeking to show forth his wrath, has chosen some vessels to show forth his mercy? And this is a mystery. This is a mystery. And this is what Paul is getting at in, Rome, in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. 
thankfully we've got time, some time here now. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1 because now I want us to look at this praise of what Paul is actually saying. And I want us to, in a sense, preach it the way it's supposed to be preached. In other words, I, I was trying to get some of the clutter out so that we can start thinking biblically as we come to this passage. Here's the passage. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. May God's name be blessed. And that's what it means. Blessing is the word eulageo. And you means good, good, good. Evangelism, good news. Eulageo, good word. Pray. So part of the word blessing means praise God. Praise you, God, that you have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. We bless you, God, because you blessed us. That's what verse 3 is about. Then he talks about these blessings in particular. And that's what the rest of the passage is about, by the way. And he says this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Think about this, dear Christian. Think about this. Before the world was created, God chose you. God saw you in his infinite mind, and he chose you. He chose you. That's what this passage is saying. And notice what it says. He chose you in Christ. Remember last week when we talked about union with Christ? He put you in union with Christ in that sense. He chose you in the context of Christ. And we're going to get into more of this next week because we're literally going to take this doctrine next week because people say, oh, Paul, he's all in the predestination, blah, 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 blah. And we're going to look at Jesus, these very words coming out of Jesus' mouth too. But what he's saying is this. He chose, Christ took us on. He chose us in conjunction with his son. And he put us in his son. And then the son took on our case. Took on our, he took us on, and all that means. We're going to look at that next week. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We're going to deal with that as well. Having predestined us, I'm sorry, in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons. What is that saying? What is that saying? That is saying that before the foundation of the world, God said, and he used your name, I choose you. And I choose you to be my adopted son. I choose you to be mine forever. That's what I choose. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adopt you and you're going to be my child, my beloved child forever. And I'm going to do this. Look at, look at verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. I'm going to do this not because I see good in you, not because you're, you're righteous. Not because, I'm going to do this because I'm going to do this. It seems good to me. I want you to be my child, and that seems good to me. To the praise of the glory of his grace. I'm going to take these fallen, wretched beings, and rather than execute them, I'm going to make them my adopted children. I'm going to put them in my son, which, is so, which involves my son dying on their behalf. I'm going to make them my children forever to the praise of the glory of 
disgrace. That means when I show up in heaven and I'm walking around, and say, the angels come up and say, Todd Johnson, look at him, son of the living God. He's been the adopted son of God. He, he shares the glory of Christ. What am I going to say? What are they going to say? They're going to say, all of grace. All of grace. Why would such a wretch be here and have such an exalted position that he's above us? All of grace. See, dear Christians, do you get this? Do you see what's happening here? We didn't choose him, and then he chose us. He chose us, and then we chose him. Let me ask you this very specifically. Why are you a Christian right now? Why are you a Christian right now? Who made you a Christian? How did you become a Christian? And why are you a Christian right now? And your brother or your sister may not be a Christian right now. I know people that are Christians right now, and their twin is not a Christian right now. How is it that you're a Christian right now, and the people who grew up in your same household with you are not Christians right now? How come you're a Christian right now, and your high school buddies are not Christians right now? Why you? Are you smarter than them? Are you more spiritual than them? Are you more insightful than them? Are you just different than them? Are you superior to them? Are you better than them? No. And why are you a Christian right now and you believe right now when there may be a time that you remember, and many of us here do, when you weren't a Christian, when you didn't believe it, when that gospel was preached to you and you got dopey, fell asleep, didn't listen, didn't care, could care less, were concerned about the world, were concerned about your sin, didn't want to get rid of it, why now have you left all that behind and now you are a Christian? Why? Are you not conscious that God has been at work in your life? Are you not conscious that God brought you here? Are you not conscious that God has brought salvation? Are you not conscious that God called you out of the gospel? Are you not conscious that people were praying for you and God used their prayers? Are you not conscious that God had brought you to himself? And if God would not have brought you to himself, if God would not have given you a new heart, if God would not have changed your will, if God would not have moved you toward him, if God would not have opened your eyes, if God would not have brought you and drawn you to Jesus, you would have never come. And if you are conscious of the fact that I would have never come on my own without the power of God, God moving, God working, all the Apostle Paul is doing here is saying, let me just run that forward to you in time all the way past and say, all of that happened because the sovereign God chose you. That's why this has happened. That's what Paul was saying. God called you. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul talks to Timothy like this. And listen to what he says. He says, he talks about the God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now look at that verse. God saved us. God called us. He called us not according to our works. He called us according to his own power. He called a purpose. He called us according to his own grace. And this grace didn't just dawn on us. God just didn't decide to have grace on us when I was 16. He said, this is the grace that came before time began. Then Paul goes on to write this, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And there's the gospel. There's predestined. There's God calling. There's the gospel. Dear friends, it's true. 
God chose you. If you are here today and you are a Christian, you can say right now, God chose me before the foundation of the world. God loved me and sent his grace upon me, incorporated me into Christ. God determined and predestined, and it was unshakable and would not change, that I would be his child forever. His beloved child forever. Dear Christian, what should that do to us? What should that do to us? Well, it should do to us what it did to Paul. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Oh, you have chosen me. You have called me. You have predestined me by your grace, by your own purposes. It should lead us to humble praise and thanksgiving and worship and wonder. And amazement chosen before the foundation of the world. That's what it should do to us. But secondly, I think, and I'm, let me get specific here. Second application is this. Listen to me very carefully. This truth should detonate. Where are you going, dude? This truth should detonate a nuclear bomb that will vaporize. By the way, that's what nuclear bombs do. If you get hit by a nuclear bomb, you're not going to survive. You're not even going to be blown to bits. You're going to be vaporized. Your individual molecules are going to go, and they're going to be gone. You're going to be vaporized. So listen to what I'm using this illustration for. This truth should detonate the nuclear bomb to vaporize the modern identity preoccupation. This truth should detonate a nuclear bomb to vaporize modern identity preoccupation. And I believe that's one of the reasons Paul was doing this here. Paul was trying to say to the Ephesians, understand how special and glorious you are and what God has done for you. See, here's the world that we live in. I'm going to pile us all over here right now. I am black. It's my identity. I am white. I am Asian. I am Hispanic. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm straight. I'm gay. I was a man. I'm now a woman. That's my identity. I'm rich. Look at my car. Look at my house. I'm rich. That's my identity. I'm smart. I'm educated. That's my identity. I'm an academic. I'm a businessman. I'm successful. That's my identity. That's who I am. I'm an athlete. I play for so-and-so. I'm an artist. I'm creative. I'm woke. I'm a good old boy. I'm an influencer. I'm a YouTuber. So that's that crowd. They're all over here. That's the world. 
and they see a guy standing over there, and they say, this is who we are. Who are you? And he stands over here, or she stands over here, and detonates a nuclear bomb. I have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be adopted as his child. That's who I am. Do you see how that just blew away all of their silliness? It blew it away. We have been chosen by God. We are in Christ Jesus. The very Son of God took us before the foundation of the world and then became a human being and then died upon the cross for us and rose again with us and is coming for us. And all of this is happening because I have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. That should form our identity, dear friends. That should be what our identity should be. But I, I want to add to this, finally, and that's this. This also, this truth should be a powerful remedy and medicine, a powerful remedy and medicine against the cancer of identity. And here's the cancer of identity for some. I am anxious. I am ugly. I'm a loser. I'm an addict. I'm a nobody. I'm poor. I'm unpopular. I'm a failure. I'm a hypochondriac. I'm insecure. Stop talking like that. You have been chosen by God before the world began to be one of his beloved children. Live out who you are. Let that get a hold of you, and it will be a balm to heal you. Finally, let me say this. There may be some here sitting here asking, what if I'm not chosen? Never ask that question. You know why? Because that's none of your business in one sense. That's not a question for you to ask or to answer. In fact, that question is never asked in the Bible. What the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy is that there's a secret thing of God. You're asking to become God. You're asking God to answer. You know, the secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. In other words, that's not your job. And it's not our job to go around and see who's chosen. And it doesn't say who's chosen on people's foreheads. That doesn't say that at all. That's why we evangelize the whole world. We call all people. We call everybody. And there's a genuine, sincere call of God to everybody to come and to believe. What is your calling? Come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's what he's called you to do. That's what he's called you to do. Listen to John chapter 6. And we're going to go into John in quite a bit of detail next week. But listen to John chapter 6 verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. There it is. Predestination. Chosen before the foundation of the world. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Now look at the next one. And the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. In one sense, you could say the first half of the verse is God's business. The second half of the verse is our business. What's our business? Come to Jesus, and he's not going to cast you out. He's not going to say, well, let me check the list. No, you're not the chosen. 
No, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. That's a sign you're chosen, that you come to Jesus. Jesus goes on to say this in the next verse. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then look at verse 39. This is the will of him who's, of the Father who sent me, that all that he has given me, predestination, I shall lose nothing, but should rise it up at the last day. So there's God's sovereign work. Now look at verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Father and Son chose. That, that relationship, Father choosing, attaching to the Son, that's God's thing. What's our thing? God offers you his Son. Flee into his hands. Trust in him. You will not be turned away. And you will have everlasting life. And as you come and as your heart opens up and you come to the Son and you believe upon him and you ask him for forgiveness of sins and you repent and turn from your sins and you embrace him as your Lord and your Savior and your life and everything and you bow before him and you take him as Savior and you follow him for all that that means... I'm here because I was chosen before the foundation of the world. Praise God. Praise God. One day God is going to reveal before heaven and hell and, and all beings a people, his children, this glorious people. And I just shake my head and say, oh, God, why me? Why me? Why? And the answer is grace. Unmerited love. The glory of a great God. Grace to the praise of the glory of his grace. Let's pray together. Now, Father, you've reminded us this morning that we are not God. We are not in control. This is not our world. It's yours. You are God. And who are we to question you who are we to question what you and your good pleasure determined would be done? But what we can do is praise you and worship you that by your grace you chose to send your son for wretches like us to give the beloved spotless one to die as a substitute cleanse us from all of our sin to draw us to you. Father, thank you. We praise you and we worship you that this plan was made in heaven and that we have been included. We're humbled. We're humbled. We thank you. 
We ask, why was I a guest to this great feast? But we praise you that it's to the praise of the glory of your grace. We are here by grace. Thank you for your free, amazing, loving grace. We praise you in your precious name. Amen.